So if we are going to put the proper channels put together as we lead towards Easter, I want you to imagine for a second, if you would, the garden. Because I, I think it's a, a moment where, frankly, we, we tend to just gloss over it. Maybe it's the one point where you stop and you're reading and you say, Jesus was so troubled that he sweat to the point of shedding blood, which would have been anguish enough. But I think that knowing what Jesus prayed changes the world for us. And that's where I want us to be today as we kind of move our way towards him rising again. Let's look at what he did with the time that he had left in the physical body. And so John 17 verse 1 says this. That Jesus spoke these things and looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. For you have given him authority over all flesh, so he may give eternal life to all you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in the presence, in your presence, with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I, I want to stop here in our reading and we'll come back. But I want to just kind of give you maybe the look, the, the feel, what was happening in the passage that we're reading today. Where Jesus was, what he's really saying, and what he's hoping that we all get today. Jesus shows up and he changes the world, not just for eternity, but for now. He made a difference for you today. I want to tell you, if all that we can hope for is in eternity to come, man, Jesus' life is not complete. But Jesus didn't just die for your eternity. He died for your now. He wants to change your life today. He doesn't want to just wait until you get to heaven so that things are better. Jesus wants you to know he died so that your life would be changed today. It should be changing your very DNA from the inside out. I think we have this wrong view of what Jesus does as though someone would walk an aisle fully broken, fully tattooed by the world, and that when they walk the aisle, that's all gone. It's not how that works. So today, if you came broken, if you came wounded, just come. It's okay, because Jesus changes us from the inside out. He starts a work in your life that it doesn't wait until eternity to start taking place. It starts today. The Lord wants to change your life today. And so as he starts his prayer, he starts by revealing the truth of eternal life. He starts by revealing that. Jesus reveals the truth of eternal life. And he says it like this. This is eternal life. And, and I love that because I think we miss this because we only put eternal life in view of heaven. But here's what he's saying. Eternal life is this. That they may know you. That's eternal life. Let's quit giving it a soon-to-come mentality. Let's give it a, a now moment. This is a verb that you may know him, not that you will one day know him, but that you may know him now. 
And what's more is he says not only that they would know you, but they would also know, what does he say? Me, the Son, Jesus Christ. God sets up something from the very beginning of the world, and how do we know it? It's right here in this passage, verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I have had with you from before the world existed. So before the world even existed, God set in place that Jesus would come and start the work of eternal life. People were searching. Up to this point where Jesus shows up on the scene, they're searching for how they could really know God. And maybe today that's your search. You've tried everything. You've read enough books. You've been on enough blogs. You have watched enough videos. You've been to enough services. And all along you have hoped for an eternity where you can know God. And all along God has been saying, know me now. Quit waiting for an eternity. Start to get to know me now. Jesus shows up so that we wouldn't just hope of a God to be. He shows up so that we would know a God who dwelt among us. What's more is he didn't just hope that one day we would kind of get to know him. And and I believe this with all my heart that one day when we get to heaven, we're going to know so much more about God than we do this side. Because we have so many questions, right? Like, why do bad things happen? Like, if we're just being real right now, the real answer to that is this. We don't know. We, We just don't get it this side of heaven. If you wanted to know from your pastor why bad things happen... I don't know, but God does, right? And that side of heaven, it'll make sense. This side of heaven, we're going to have questions. We're just going to have questions. Uh, Joe Beth Dupler is one of my questions for heaven. Joe Beth was that little girl that had cancer when I was growing up that was one of my best friend's little sisters, and she died with cancer. I still won't understand that suffering. But you know what? That side of heaven, Joe Beth is dancing with Jesus. She's not asking any more questions. I mean, I've got questions. I've got a grandmother that right now is dying in Lovington, Texas. Lovington, New Mexico. And, uh, and I mean, she's had lupus for years. And we got the call yesterday that tomorrow's going to be her last day on earth. And I'll never understand why she had lupus all those years. But you know what? When my grandmother breathes in her last earth breath, she will exhale and breathe in heaven. And you know what, for me, I have questions, but believe me, when I get to that side, my questions will be answered quickly. Not because God has to answer anything for me. Job tells us that, right? God owes us no answers. But I got to tell you, God is so good that that side of heaven, we won't have to ask. We will know. It'll be there. Why do these things happen? We don't know. But I can tell you this. If you're waiting for a relationship with God for heaven, you're waiting for the wrong moment. Today is the day. Eternal life is this, that you would know God and know Jesus. That's eternal life. And it should be lived today. We should no longer wait for God to do something amazing then. Let's ask for God to do something in us now. That's the beauty of this. Man, when I look at this passage and I see the the heartbreak of Jesus and I see his anguish and prayer, as I see him talking, do you see him saying, woe is me? I see him saying, 
let's go. That's the Jesus I serve. That's the Jesus we know. Because this Jesus willfully went to the cross and willfully died for the sins of men and willfully rose again so that we could have eternal life. Now. Right now. Why is it that we as Christians live so defeated when we have a Jesus that lives so victorious? I believe it's because we don't know him really. Because when you're around somebody that's victorious, you start to act like they do. Have you ever been around a, a, a coach of a team that wins? You know what they never say in the locker room? Well, let me tell you what, team, y'all practice hard. And today's not going to be easy. And listen, just do your best. And let's hope something comes out okay. Is that how they talk? No, it's not. They get in there and they say, y'all are the best. Go act like it. When you get out on that court, you get out on that field, you get out in that, that ballpark, act like it. Do not just your best, go above it. No one can touch you, and I promise you this, that is exactly what this says about you. We have a Savior that didn't just hope for our someday. He lives for our every day. And we are more than conquerors, I think Scripture tells us, correct? Through who? Through Christ. This man who is praying for the greatness of knowing God now. So, when we get this context of what Christ is going to say, let's keep reading in verse 6. He says this, I've revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and I have, and they have kept your word. Now all of these things you have given to me are from you, because the words you gave me I have given to them. And they have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I've been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one just as we are one. Listen, I hear something in Jesus' voice. And that's this, the dread of the cross was overshadowed by the glory beyond it. The dread of the cross was just a side note to what Jesus was about to do. He was about to show up on our behalf, and he was about to change history. So the dread of the cross, while it's there, and while Jesus says, may this cup pass for me, but ever so, your will, but not mine. Listen, the dread of the cross is there, but man, there's a glory that's waiting to happen. Something is about to take place. The very nature of human nature is about to be changed by one man. Because through one man, the world is about to be changed forever. Jesus is showing up. And what he prays for is something that I hope you'll get today and I want to stay with for just a minute. Jesus prayed for the unity of his followers. Jesus prayed for the unity of his followers. And I want to put this in context today for you for just a couple of seconds. Here's what this doesn't mean. Unity of his followers does not mean a love for every version of religion. I want to caution you with this. 
Because I hear people say, or maybe seen on bumper stickers, the coexist stickers. Y'all seen these? Here's the problem. If it's anti-Bible, it is anti-God. And so if what you believe is anti-scriptural, it does not have God's blessing cover. It will perish. It may burn for a season, but I promise you that burn will only lead down a path of eternal burning. That's a, a, a strong thing I hope you catch today. The unity that Jesus is talking about is through the context of his word, and we'll see it here in a minute. He's already said it. What you've given to me, I give to them. Whatever you've given me, I've entrusted them, and they understand it. I pray that they'll be unified in it. Like you and I are unified. What did Jesus say that didn't come from God? Nothing. We get that in Scripture. All that I've said has come from you. Correct? So, if we are to be unified, we have to be unified in truth. If we're not, there is no unity to be found. Why is it that people that believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life cannot get along? The enemy. Because if we all adhere to truth, there should be no division. Why is it that we live in a world where in a town of 50 people there can be three churches? The enemy. So our job is to do two things. To test against the word and to unify around it. That's our job in the faith. Our job is to delete lines that the world sees are division points. But we are not to give away the truth. We are not to back down. We are not to take a side seat. We are to stay true to the word of God because if it is what gives us life, it is, if it is what directs our lives, then we should follow it with everything we've got. Let's listen to what he says in the scripture. He says, while I'm with them, verse 12, while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you had given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that scripture may be fulfilled. Now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I've given them, what is it? Your, your word. The world hated them because they were not of the world, as I am not of the world. And I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, as I was not of this world. And listen to what he says in verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So let's talk about this sentence. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. In the beginning was the word. And it says the word did what? It dwelt among them. This word in scripture has two definitions. The spoken mouth of God and the one that dwelt in flesh. You cannot separate the word of God and Jesus. Doesn't happen. Because see, Jesus is the living embodiment of the word of God. So, if someone tells you, I believe the Bible, I just have trouble with Jesus, they are a, they're a liar. It can't be true. You cannot love Jesus and hate the word. Impossible. It, it just can't happen. You can't love the word and not follow Jesus. Impossible. 
And so today when he talks about this unification, he uses a word that we need to know today, and it's this, sanctify. Sanctify them by your word. Sanctify them. Let me just give you what this really would look like to sanctify. It it has a, a connotation of sacrifice in it. It would be to cut away everything that is unuseful and unholy and get to that which is sacrificial. That that is perfect. That that's made for God. We have to ask the question today of our lives. What have we allowed into our faith and our trust in the word that is unholy and unuseful? Such that when we present ourselves to God, he goes, I can't use that. Listen, church, those that believe in Jesus, we are victims of ourselves. We've allowed the enemy so much clout in our lives that now when we come to the Lord, we wonder why we don't hear him. We wonder why we don't experience him. We wonder why as we worship, it becomes preference over worship. It's because what we have brought is not sanctified. When we pray and we ask God to speak over our services, my prayer is that he would sanctify it. That he would cut away the false words. That he would cut away the pretense. That he would cut away the everything other than the truth of his word so that it would be implanted in us. Because we need it. So as he talks about this sanctification, as he talks about this, we must be sanctified by the word of God we must we must spend time in it we must know it we must dive into it I'll be honest with you my holy practice with scripture is I strive daily to memorize it and I'm not good at it I wish I could tell you today that I just got that mind that when I read it I know the address in the Bible and I can just spout it out to you and you can say pastor what's What's that verse on this? And I may can finish it for you, and then you go, where is it found? And I'll say, in the back of your Bible. If you'll turn back there and look it up by the word, you'll find it. Uh, you got Google, right? You Googleize it. Uh, but I've got to tell you something. We need it implanted in our lives because at some point, we will be shaken. At some point, you will be squeezed. And at some point, the ways of this world will poke at you and what comes out of you should be the word of God here's your quick test because you only know you except for God God knows you better than you know you you know how I know tell me the number of hairs on your head even those of you guys that think you're bald God knows the number of hairs on your head more than you do so he knows you better than you he knows your thoughts before you can speak them he knows the number of your days you don't even know that does God know you better than you You better believe it. So the question is this. If God knows all that about you, and he loves you deeply, and he gave you his word, and he is the word, and he wants to speak over your life, if all of that is true, when pressured, what comes out of you? Don't answer that out loud. But I would dare say all of us, including the man standing before you, could use more of his word. We all need it. Because it's going to happen. At some point you're going to know, God, what plan do you have for my life in this area? 
God, how do I handle this situation? God, what do I do when blank occurs? And he's given us the answer in his word. I, every so often, April and I will trade in a vehicle, and just recently, we traded in, and I got a, a truck again, and I'm so thankful. It's got a cap on the back, so don't call me to move you. Anyways, um, uh, so I get this, and the other day, um, I'm at the school, I'd gone for a meeting, and I came out and unlocked my truck with this cool little um, security system that someone before me put on it. And I unlocked it, and I opened the door, and the alarm went off. And I don't know if you've ever had this moment of pure panic, because there's like four people watching me. And, and so you do what everybody else does. And I sat down, and I closed the door, and I'm pressing unlock on the security thing, and nothing's happening. And I lock it, and I unlock it, and I lock it, and I unlock it, and I'm going, it's still going off. I put the key in, and I start it, it's still going off. Turn it off. Unlock it, lock it, unlock it, lock it. Put it in, turn it. I mean, it just kept going. So I just started driving. <laughs> I mean, I fear at this point, if I'm going to get pulled over, let's have some fun with it, right? And so I started driving. Finally turns off, and I'm like, woo! Yay, yay for me. Get home. Get in the garage. Shut the door. Go inside. Had to leave to go pick up some kids. Go into the garage. Open the car door. My neighbor's in the back alley, just, he's getting into his car, and he just does this number. And I'm going, <laughs> I hate you, car. <laughs> I get in, just start it, drive away. It's still, I feel like the ice cream man. Kids are starting to come out with money. Oh, no, okay. We feel caught in those moments, and maybe you feel that way spiritually, that you just keep getting caught in moments. The alarms keep going off. You have all the tools in front of you, but it just keeps going off. And in those moments, I was praying for some kind of manual. I mean, I started looking through the glove compartment, which made it even worse. Alarms going off, and I'm searching through the glove compartment. Um, but I'm searching for something that can help me. I'm going, what, what is it? What can I find? What's, I mean, I'm pulling out my phone. I'm you know, looking up on YouTube, stopping a car alarm. I'm thinking, if a cop pulls up now, glove compartment's open, it's all messed up, I'm looking how to stop a car alarm. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to be in the paper. Local pastor steals his own car. Um, but I was searching, and I was like, just find me an answer. I need something. And in your spiritual walk, you may have felt this moment of panic. God, I don't know what to do right now. I need you. Show up. Say something. And he's going, Manuel. I mean, you can look like an idiot. That alarm's going to keep going off. Manual. I mean, you can keep doing what you're doing. I can promise you it's not going to go anywhere. Manual. As a Christian, you have been equipped with everything you need for holiness. Not just an okay life. Not just a better than others life. Holiness complete sanctification before God. You have it. It's just sad that we don't use it, do we? I mean, we sit there and we mess up our lives so much more because we don't just stop to read the manual. I don't know if it's just that we're prideful. I think that's probably it. 
that we believe that we can really do this Christian life as good as anybody else, when we're measuring the wrong direction, if anything Easter reminds us of this, we don't measure to one another, we measure to Jesus. And we've got a long way to go. I've got a long way to go. I won't speak for y'all. I, I believe there's people in this room that are a whole lot closer than I'll ever be. But I just got to tell you, there is a secret to this, and Jesus is pouring it out on us. Look what he says in verse 20. I pray not only for these disciples that you gave me. I pray not only for myself, but I also pray for those who believe in me through their message. Who is Jesus praying for? He's praying for us. Jesus could have prayed for anything. But he prays for us. If anything you should think about Easter, you should know this. I believe all the way through the cross to his last breath in the physical flesh, Jesus thought of us. How powerful is that? Because there's days, let's just be honest, I'll admit it to you that I live for myself. We call it living in the flesh. That's what the scriptures call it. Y'all found yourself there? The only one? Me and John? Hey, John. Uh, And man, it's a sickness, isn't it? Because when you open the word and you spend time in it, you start to see how sick we really are. Scripture says like a dog returns to its vomit, so a man returns to his folly. As a man goes back to the flesh, that's how sick it is. And Jesus knew that about us. And he did it anyway. He died for us anyway. And he did so willfully. And he did so joyfully. Because he believed something could take place. Verse 21 says it. Here it is again. May they all be one as you and I are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you've given me. May they be one as we are one. What he's saying is this. Y'all can try for church unities. You can meet together and you can hope to stick together, but that doesn't work. So quit focusing on being one together and focus on being one with us. I'll stick the glue together. My son and I some time ago built a, a Batmobile. It was pretty cool. We got this kit. We were excited. And I, I made him do a lot of the work. I was like, you're going to have to sand it. And so he He'd sit in there and sand it. He'd get all the edges, you know, nice. And then we started to glue stuff on. And, and eventually he just looked at me and said, hey, man, uh, would you glue this? I don't want to mess this up. That's how you're one in Christ. You and I are incapable of staying and being one. That's the work of Jesus. He keeps us all together. I want to ask you a quick question. This one's going to be a poll. You ready? You got your hands free? How many of you grew up your whole life in Amarillo, Texas? Look around. Okay. How many of you grew up in Texas, period? Grew up in Texas. Okay. 
So if I'm just gauging the room, I'd say at the best, we're 50-50. That 50% of us grew up in Texas, and about 25% of us, maybe 30% of us in Amarillo. And yet you showed up today and came to Quell Creek. I mean, think about that for a second, because when we were in high school, the rival teams I didn't even want to talk to. Right? Like, if you showed up at my field house to play me in football, man, your mom was ugly. You know, that's what I thought. I, I didn't like you. I wanted to hurt you. And yet, look at us. 50% of us in the room didn't even grow up in Texas. You know what that says? When we take our eyes off of ourselves and we place it on a holy God, we lose every category that used to be a preference. It doesn't matter where you came from. Didn't matter how much money you had. Didn't matter which alma mater you went to. Didn't matter which side of the tracks you grew up on. All that mattered is Jesus. Because he has enough glue to hold everything together. Let's turn our focus to him. When Jesus prays, things happen. There's this book, Partners in Prayer, by John Maxwell. It says, in the summer of 1876, grasshoppers nearly destroyed all the crops in Minnesota. So in the spring of 1977, farmers were worried and they believed that the dreadful plague was going to come back. And so April 26th, the governor of Minnesota, John Pillsbury, proclaimed a day of prayer and fasting. There's every man and woman and child to ask God to prevent this terrible scourge. On that day of April 26, all schools, shops, stores, and offices were closed in the state. There was a reverent, quiet hush over everything. The next day, dawn bright and clear, temperatures soared. What an ordinary were in midsummer, which was a particular high temperature for April. Minnesotans were devastated as they discovered billions of grasshopper larvae wiggling to life. For three days, the usual heat persisted and the larvae hatched. And it appeared that there wouldn't be long before they started to feed on the crops and destroy everything. But on the fourth day, the temperature suddenly dropped. And that night, frost covered the earth and it killed every single one of those creepy crawly pests. Better than poison, better than fire. The grateful farmers never forgot that day. And it went down in history of Minnesota as the day God answered the prayers of his people. Let me ask you a question. Does God still answer prayer? Okay. Now, do we believe that? I mean, are you really sure? I mean, are you super positive that God still answers prayer? Then pray like it. Let's quit praying as though God may hear us. Let's quit praying as perhaps God might. And let's begin to pray like God is really there. My kids both have cell phones. Well, my daughter does. My son has an iPod that... When he's in Wi-Fi, I can get a hold of him. The other day, I was trying to call them, and neither one of them would answer. 
And that was frustrating. You ever felt that frustration of trying to get a hold of someone and them not being on the other end? And maybe you've been there with God. I mean, I've been here long enough to hear some of you come into the office and share that. Let's not be too proud. I've felt that. And let's just be honest, so have you. If we're really going to be real today, you've been there. Where you've prayed and it seems like God isn't answering. It's frustrating. And it feels like, well, God doesn't care. But Luke 18 says something. It's the story of this king and this widow. This widow comes and she stands before the king and she says, King, everything's so unjust. There is no justice to be found. When will you show up and help us? And the king just dismisses her. So the next day, she comes back. He says, King, same woman, same problem. When will you show up? And the king goes, go away. Next day, the next day, the next day, the next day. And finally the king says something. If I don't do something... This woman's going to come back. And so he grants justice to this woman. I'm not making this up. This is Luke 18, 1 through 8. Let me ask you a question. When you pray to God, do you write it down? If you don't, how do you know he answers? And if you don't keep praying, how do you not know that he's waiting for one more day? Because I believe this. We need to keep praying and 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 keep and and then just et cetera. You know why? It's not that God doesn't love you. He's waiting to see if you really believe he can. Why did this widow show up before the king? She knew he could grant justice. I asked you, do you believe that God can answer prayers for one reason? When you pray, do you believe he really hears you? Or are you just praying to hope that something happens? Because I grew up and I saw Pinocchio. And I heard Jiminy Cricket sing the song, When You Wish Upon a Star. And I kind of believe sometimes we would rather wish upon a star than put a prayer in the lap of Jesus. But if we believe he really can't answer our prayers, let's pray like it. Let's be desperate for it. The last is this. Jesus desired for us to be as united with him as he was with the Father. I I think that today, I pray this for you. That today that you would seek to be as close to him as you possibly can. Because eternity is not something to be waited for. It's something to take hold of today. Are you living in eternity with him? There's this verse in Psalms that says that God counts the stars and he calls them by name. And that verse hangs in my head because I believe that that is so crazy to think of. Because y'all can try it tonight. Drive outside of town, get away from all the lights. It doesn't take far to get outside of Amarillo where there's no lights. And just start counting stars. In fact, map it out. One, two. Okay, did that move? Is that a plane? Okay, one, two, three. That one moved. Okay, one, 
to start. And then what's more is I want you then to, as soon as you finish counting, name them. Bob, Bobina, Babaruski, Bibi. You know, just go ahead. And then memorize each name. God that loves the world that much loves you so much more. You see, stars don't have eternal value to him. They'll fade. They do that already, don't they? You see, even our earth, even though it's mightily crafted, beautiful, will fade. Oceans, animals, all will fade. Except for one creation. You. You're the only thing that's been fearfully and wonderfully made. Created in God's image. In his very likeness you were created. He wove you together in your mother's womb. He knows the number of your days, the hairs on your head. He knows your inner thoughts, your inner workings. He knows your heart. He knows your anxious thoughts. He knows your prayers. Even before you can get them out. And even the times where you want to pray but don't know the words. He can pray it for you. A God that loves you that much should be worth our time in prayer. So let me ask you a question. If God really is real, and God really can be prayed to, have you given him your heart? Have you given him your life? Do you know him in eternity starting today? Or is he just a hope for one day? I don't know if my grandmother will make it through this day. I don't. But I can tell you this, she's not hoping to hold on to this day. She knows Jesus as her Lord and Savior and has for years. And you know what? I may not get to see her this side of heaven again. But I know that that side, no more lupus, no more brittle bone disease, no more heart problems, breathing good, strong, standing up, walking around. See, she found something. She found a Jesus to give her life to, as should we. That Jesus prayed for you. Why don't you give him your everything and pray and give it to him? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we believe that prayer is real. That when we pray, you hear us. And God, we believe that it changes our lives. So God, would you change us today? Would you lead us today? Would you move in our hearts today? Lord, we started this service on our knees praying before you. And God, we want to end it in the same exact way. Just praying before you, calling out to you, asking that you would change our lives. So God, lead us. Lead us now, God. In your name we pray. Amen.